Well, I want to welcome everyone this morning, uh, those who are here in our celebration service and also those in our summit service today. Uh, this is a good day uh, here at First Baptist Church with uh, the baptisms that we've been able to experience in both services, and we're thankful for the Lord, to the Lord, uh, for his goodness. I want to welcome those that are worshiping online and on our television broadcast Uh, It's good to be able to stand and preach and teach God's Word today. If you have your Bible, and I trust that you do, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And today I want to continue our post-mortem, if you will, of the fall of Saul. And so we learned last week that Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, had a spectacular failure. And as a result, God took his hand off Saul's reign and Saul's leadership, and he was removed from the throne, the fall of Saul. And we said that there are some lessons, some very important lessons that we can learn from this, and we're going to spend a few weeks on it. It's such an important thing. Uh, Last week, we looked at the lesson of obedience. Uh, King Saul said that he was obedient to the Lord. When clearly, when we read the account, he was not obedient to the Lord. And we learned last week that the reason he was able to say that is because he tragically redefined obedience. And that was a linchpin of his failure. Today, we're going to focus on the matter of trust. The matter of trust. Now, I shared with you last week that Uh, In these weeks, one of the things that we're going to focus on as we learn these lessons from the fall of Saul, we're going to focus on the subject of financial giving. And uh, that's not something that we talk about very often. I shared with you last week that it had been 240 Sundays since I had preached a message on financial giving. Uh, But as your pastor, I want to apologize to you about that. Uh, Giving is important. Uh, Giving is a part of the Christian life. It's a way that we honor and worship the Lord. Uh, Giving is a means of grace, the same way reading our Bible is a means of grace. The same way that praying or worshiping is a means of grace. So is giving. Giving is both a thermometer and a thermostat for our love for the Lord and our discipleship. Giving is a thermometer in the sense that it gives us a window into our hearts. If you want to know what's most important to you, just look at how you spend your money. When a family spends more money on annual vacations than it does on the gospel ministry, that says something. When a family spends more money on these social media devices that we call cell phones than we do on the gospel ministry, that says something. When a family spends more on clothing or hobbies or home improvement or retirement or or a thousand other things, we can see in those expenses something of the priority of our hearts. And so our giving is a thermometer. And it'll tell you the temperature of your heart, your spiritual heart. But giving is also a thermostat. Now, what's the difference in a thermometer and a thermostat? A thermometer tells you what the temperature is. A thermostat will change the temperature, right? You adjust the thermostat in your home. It adjusts the temperature in your home. And when we give, it changes the temperature of our heart, 
our heart for the Lord, our trust in the Lord. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will follow your treasure. And if we want to raise the temperature of our love for the Lord, uh, one of the primary ways, according to scripture, that we do that is through sacrificial giving. Uh, So I want to talk today a little bit about giving as we go through Uh, this failure, the fall of Saul in 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel uh, 15. But now before we just jump into the scripture, I I, want to take your temperature a little bit. How happy are you that the pastor two weeks in a row is talking about giving? I mean, you don't have to say it out loud, (laughs) but if you had to rate your favorite sermon subjects, where would this one fall? If you had a choice between a sermon on giving or a root canal, (laughs) why is it so hard to talk about giving? It's hard to listen to it. It's hard to talk about it. There are a lot of reasons why I hadn't spoken on it in 240 weeks. Um, I think the reason why it's so hard comes down to our true trust in the Lord. Because when we give some significant amount of money, whatever significant is for us, uh, it really exposes how much we trust or how much we don't trust the Lord. When we give some significant amount of money, it, it helps us to see whether we're trusting the Lord to take care of us or we're trusting our own resources to take care of us. It shows us whether or not we're trusting the Lord to meet our needs or we're trusting ourselves to meet our needs. It shows whether or not we're trusting the Lord to bring joy and peace or we're trusting ourselves to bring joy and peace. So we think things like this. I need to keep this money so I can take care of my family. I need to keep this money so I can buy stuff to make me happy. I need to keep this money so I can have security in an uncertain future. And I need to keep this stuff so I can find a way to survive if hard times come. Now, what's the common denominator of those statements? I, I'm trusting in me. And so giving, hard for you, hard for me, hard to listen to, hard to talk about, it all comes down to trust. When we struggle with giving, we are really struggling with trust, with trust. I want to, I want to read something that Jesus said, and we're going to get to first Samuel 13, I promise. Uh, but let me read through this. It, it's a longer passage, but you're familiar with it. So you can follow. I'll read quickly. Matthew six twenty five. Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, don't, don't worry about the material things of life, isn't life more than the material things? The next verse, he says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than, than they are worth? He says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And the answer is no, just in case you're wondering. Um, Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into a furnace tomorrow, won't he do so much more for you? So don't worry saying, what will we eat and what will we drink or what will we wear for the Gentiles? That means the people who don't know Christ. The Gentiles eagerly seek all of those things because they think that's where their happiness and security comes from. But your heavenly father knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. It all comes down to trust, to trust. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament in a book that we hardly ever uh, read. I don't know that I've preached on it more than once or twice in my entire ministry. It's the book of Habakkuk. Uh, How familiar are you with the book of Habakkuk? Uh, But Habakkuk chapter two, verse four, the Bible says something that the New Testament repeats three times. You know, it's important. The just shall live by faith. Your Bible translation might say the righteous, the people who are right with God. They will live by faith. Faith, for our purposes today, is the same as trust. Those who are right with God will live by trusting in him. It starts with trusting in him for our salvation. I'm not a child of God because I'm good at keeping the rules or because I've made some great change in my life. I am a child of God because I trust what Christ has done and that that is enough to cover my sins. Now Christ has changed my life and is changing my life, but my trust is not in me, it is in Christ. If you would like to be a child of God today, don't make a commitment to never sin again. Don't make a commitment to turn over a new leaf. Don't make a commitment to be a better person. All of those things may happen, but put your trust in what Christ has done for the forgiveness of your sins. Surrender to him. He'll change your life. He'll make you a better person. He'll turn over a lot of leaves in your life, but it starts with trust. The just shall live by faith. That's how we become a Christian. And that's how we live out. That should characterize our faith. Our trust in God should characterize every part of our Christian life. So now back to Saul. So uh, Saul, at the core of his problem, didn't trust the Lord. And his lack of trust is what Uh, destroyed his reign as king. It's what destroyed his family. It destroyed his career. It destroyed his spiritual legacy. His lack of trust became the bullet that brought him down. So I want to show you uh, four ways that he failed in his trust of the Lord. And when that's concluded, I, I, I want to show you one, uh, one extra thing that I see in this passage uh, that I think will pull all the pieces together. It'll, it'll surprise you, but it'll amaze you, I think. It has just turned a light on in my heart this last week, and I want to share that with you. I want to share that with you as well. Before we just jump into Saul, though, uh, you received one of these little booklets, one of these brochures on your way in. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it 
will intersect with our message, so I want to draw your attention to it. Uh, if you didn't get one on the way in, in either service, there will be some at the doors on your way out. If you open it up, there's just a brief letter from, from the pastor. I'm not sure where that photograph came from, but uh, just, just keep on going. And then there's something called Advance the Ministry. Now, you're welcome to read that. Uh, by the way, you can find all this information on our website, fbcnac.org give or fbcnac.org slash advance the ministry. Find all this information. We're going to talk about advance the ministry next Sunday. And then the next item is legacy giving. And we're going to talk about that some in the next two Sundays as well. But I want you to take a moment and read through that. Some of the greatest ways that God has blessed First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches through the generations is that people have made planned gifts in their, uh, in their estate planning. And when you walk around this church and you look at some of the things that God has done here, those things have happened because of that, uh, that form of giving, that estate planning. We'll talk about that. If you open to the next page, there are just some scripture verses. Uh, maybe you have questions about giving. And the Bible has answers. And then if you look, turn another page, uh, when we talk about giving, the question people ask the pastor more than any other question is, what about tithing? What about tithing? Old Testament, New Testament. And uh, the best answer I've ever read is um, one by Randy Alcorn, a Bible teacher of some note. And I've included a short version of something that he has written. And then the most important thing is I want you to look to the back. Oh, things have changed through the, through the years and through the decades. And so uh, we don't uh, bring a bushel of beans or a dead chicken when we give to the church anymore. Uh, thankfully, please don't do that. But there are some ways to give. Uh, you see four of those mentioned there. Uh, you can give during the services. And so in this post-COVID world, uh, we give through giving boxes that are located at all of the exits of both um, worship areas. Also, I think in the children's um, area, check-in area, also in the Welcome Center and some other places, they're not hard to find. Uh, you can also give online. More and more of our people choose to do that. And you just simply go to our website or there is an app for that. And the instructions are right there, and you can give uh, online. Many people choose to give by mail, and you can simply mail your gift to the church, uh, or people uh, often will choose to give in person. Uh, you could just bring your gift to buy during office hours, or there's a little box on the outside of the office area where you can give in that box. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 13, I want to show you four ways, four demonstrations of Saul's lack of trust. Number one, Saul was better at starting than finishing. He was better at starting something than finishing something. So if you look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 8, notice it says, he waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set, 
But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal and the troops were deserting him. Now we talked of the story, the narrative last week that uh, the Israelites were facing the Philistines. It was a very dangerous battle that uh, was, uh, was in their future. And God had given some instructions for how they were to proceed. And one of the things that God had told them was that they needed to wait. King Saul needed to wait for seven days or until uh, Samuel, who was the prophet, the preacher, so to speak, would show up and there could be this special worship service and then they could go into battle. So in the beginning, King Saul wanted to do it the right way. And he waited day after day after day. And it seemed like, it seemed like Saul was trusting the Lord. But after seven days, Samuel had not arrived. So Saul decided that he would just do it without him. Now here's what I want you to see. Too often we measure our trust by how we start, but trust is best measured by how we finish. Oftentimes we make some big commitment and we're, we honor the Lord for seven days. But when things get hard, when things are difficult, when it is inconvenient, when we get pressure, then we abandon our trust for the Lord. So did we trust God and stop trusting God? No, we never trusted God because trust is not measured by how we start. It's measured by how we finish. How do you know, how can you be certain that a building is uh, strong and can stand against the winds of a storm? Well, it's all just theory until what? Until a storm comes. And if a storm comes and blows the building down, then what do you know? The building was weak. Now, did the building become weak when the storm came? No, it was weak the whole time. You just didn't know it until the storm came. If we've got a rope up here and we're wondering how strong the rope is, how can we know what the limits of the rope, the tension on the rope, what is its limit? Well, we pull on it. And if we pull on it and it breaks in two, then we know that the rope is weak, but it didn't just become weak then. It was weak the whole time. We just didn't know until it was put under tension. So how we trust the Lord, the true measure of your trust, of my trust, is not how we start, but it's how we finish. A lot of things that make us start well, sometimes it's just enthusiasm, or sometimes it's guilt. We're guilted into something, so we start well. Sometimes people are pressuring us into something. Sometimes it's uh, just the fear of missing out, and so we start really well. But see, if it's real trust, when the difficulties come, the strength will be evident. In Saul's life, he started wonderfully, seven days. But when things got difficult, he failed. We see a demonstration of his lack of trust, not by how he started, but how he finished. Now, the second thing, the second way we see a demonstration of his lack of trust is that Saul feared people, circumstances, and the future. So if we skip over to 
1 Samuel 15. We said last week that there are two failures. There's one in 13, one in 15, and they really go hand in hand, very similar. And together they bring down his reign. So chapter 15, verse 24 says, Saul answered Samuel, uh, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words because I was afraid of the people. So I obeyed them. So Saul just, he just says it. The reason why his trust was exposed, his lack of trust was exposed, is is in his fear of people, circumstances, and the future. Saul feared the people more than he trusted the Lord. I want you to see those as two opposing things. I want you to see them perhaps as two sides of a seesaw. And when your fear of people, circumstances of the future, when that fear goes up, it is because your trust in the Lord has gone down. But when your trust in the Lord goes up, I'm telling you, your fear of people, circumstances in the future will go down, will go down. If we talk about giving, every time you give generously, every time you give sacrificially, you are declaring that you trust God more than you fear circumstances or the future. And every time I fail to give, I am declaring that I ultimately don't trust God. I am more fearful of the future and of circumstances. What was the main difference for you Bible students And we're going to get to David if the Lord allows in the next few weeks. But what is the main difference between King Saul, who was a failure, and the next king, King David, who was a success in some ways? Here it is. 1 Samuel 15, 24, the end of that verse, we just read it. Saul said, I was afraid of the people, so I obeyed them. Let me read to you something that David wrote in Psalm 56, 11. David said, in God, I trust, I will not be afraid. What can a mere human do to me? You see the difference? One feared man, one feared circumstances, one feared the future, one trusted the Lord, trusted the Lord. The third way we see that Saul's lack of uh, trust was demonstrated is that Saul followed his own path and his own plan. When Saul had a choice whether to follow the instructions of the Lord or to follow his own path, Saul chose his own path. So let's see this. We'll stay in 1 Samuel 15. Go back up to verse 9. It says, Saul and the troops spared Agag. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all of the worthless and unwanted things. We're going to come back to this in the next weeks. God had told them to destroy it all, but Saul had a different plan. There was God's plan, destroy it all. Then there was Saul's plan. Verse 10 says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Verse 11, I regret that I made Saul king. 
for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So you see there, the instructions of the God, instructions of God, Saul went a different path. It says at the end of verse 11, so Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. I think it's interesting that Samuel grieved over Saul's sins. And I think this grief was, uh, was a deep, deep grief in Samuel's life. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 8, 3, that Samuel's sons did not walk in the ways of the Lord. And I'm sure he was familiar with grief. So Saul looked at the instructions, clear instructions that God had given. And then Saul decided that in this instance, in this season of life, it was better to do it his own way. Here's what God says, but I know a better way. And he did it the better way. Now, I'm sure that Saul had a whole list of reasons why his way was better than God's way. I tried to think of some this week. Maybe he said, well, sheep, goats, cattle, uh, all of these that belong to the Amalekites are such good quality. This is too good of an opportunity to pass up. God would want me to keep these alive. Or maybe he said, uh, I'm going to keep these treasures that God said not to keep, but I'm going to use part of them to serve the Lord. I wonder if he said, there will be a better time later for me to honor the Lord. But in this season of life, with the age of my kids and where my family is and where I am in my career, at this season of life, there's a different, there's a better path than the Lord's. Or maybe he said, when God said destroy everything, what he really wanted me to do is to follow the spirit of that instruction. And so I've done that instead. The truth is it all comes down to trust. Saul trusted his own plan, his own wisdom, his own experience, his own intellect, his own resources. You plug in whatever word you want. Saul trusted Saul instead of trusting the Lord. It was a matter of trust. You know, the best definition of trust in the Bible is found in Proverbs 3. I'm sure you know these verses. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this definition of trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So what does it mean to trust? To trust means you don't lean on your wisdom, your experience, your plan, but you lean on God's plan. Even if it doesn't make sense in your mind, in your heart, in your circumstance, it's a matter of trust. Now, the fourth way that we see Saul failed in his trust of the Lord is that he failed the test of prosperity. I want you to listen closely to this. He failed the test of prosperity. If you look at verse 12, chapter 15, verse 12, it says, early in the morning, now this will surprise you. Focus on this. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul. So Saul's messed up. He didn't destroy all the animals. So Samuel's going to bring a word from the Lord and it's not going to be a good word. It says, early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself 
And then he turned and went down to Gilgal. Saul, after he had been disobedient to God, he decided to build a statue for himself. He was the king of Israel. Israel had just defeated the Amalekites. And Saul thought, it's because of me. So he built a statue for himself. Now, here's what's interesting when you study the life of Saul. Listen to this, church. When things were difficult in Saul's life, you know what he did? He prayed. When things were difficult, he called on God. When things were hard, when there was nowhere else to turn, Saul always turned to the Lord. But when things were easy, when the enemy had been destroyed, when he was successful, Saul turned away from the Lord and exalted himself. When Saul was in a difficult place and he turned to the Lord, was that him trusting the Lord? Or was that just desperation? I think Saul answers that question when we see what he does when life is easy. See, most of us pass the test of adversity. Most of us do well with that. You lose your job tomorrow, I bet you'll pray. The doctor tells you you have cancer, I bet you will pray. Your house burns down, you'll pray. The sheriff calls and says your child has been in a car accident, I guarantee you, you'll pray. We do well in the test of adversity. The problem for most of us is we fail the test of prosperity. I mean, when things are hard, we turn to the Lord, but when things are easy, the Lord's the least of our concerns. See, Saul wasn't trusting the Lord when he cried out for help in the hard times. No, he was just desperate. And you can see it in the fact that he turned away from the Lord in the easy times. You know, I've heard people say this, and I, I, I'm sure there's some truth to it. But I think, I think it's not completely true. Have you ever heard someone say that when you get in a, when somebody goes through the fire, their real character shows through? Have you, I've probably preached that. Have you ever heard people say, well, when life gets hard, you're going to find out who you really are. I'm not so sure, church. Because I think most of us have got enough connection with the general Christian faith that when life gets hard, we run to the Lord. I believe you'll find out your true character when life is good. Does that make sense? Yeah, when life is hard, everybody turns to God. What do you do when life is good? We can see that Saul never really trusted the Lord because when life was good, he turned away. Now, Jesus said something to his disciples that, uh, that puzzles us. We don't talk about it a lot. We should, perhaps. Matthew 19, 23 Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, 
it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you think that means? Does it mean that uh, God doesn't want you to be rich? No, it doesn't mean that at all. If you're worried about that, just give me all your money. I will shoulder the burden for you, okay? Um, No, Uh, he says it will be hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Because frankly, it's much easier to find the Lord when life is hard. And it's much more difficult to find the Lord when life is easy. Because we're really good at the test of adversity. But we're pretty lousy at the test of prosperity. And so we see here that Saul, he didn't trust the Lord. You see it not in the difficult times, but in the good times. How is trust connected to giving? What's the connection? I, I can tell you very simply three things. Our giving is a test of our trust. If you want to know whether you trust the Lord, look at you, your giving. If you're scared to give, you don't trust the Lord. So first, trust is a test of your giving. No, giving is a test of your trust. The second way is that giving is the means to strengthen your trust. You want to have greater faith? You go out on a limb and trust God in some things. You give. You give sacrificially. And you know what happens when you give sacrificially? You've got to trust the Lord. And you start working that muscle of trust that it'll get stronger and stronger. You know, the people in our church who trust God the most, you know who those people are? For the most part, they're the widow ladies in our church. They're the people who have gone through some of life's most difficult times. And they had to trust the Lord and they came out the other end with a strong faith. Now, uh, don't volunteer to be a widow. That's illegal. Okay. Um, but we exercise our trust when we're faithful to give sacrificially. And the third way is our giving is an expression of our trust. You know, a part of worship is singing to the Lord. Part of worship is praying. Part of worship is responding to God's word. But part of worship is giving. It's giving. It's an expression of our trust. Now, This is what I've been anxious to show you. When I'm preparing a message, I read the passage over and over and over and over and over until I'm just almost sick of it. I mean, I'm not sick of it, but I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it. And I'm trying to read it for my personal edification. Uh, you, You know that coming to hear me preach is really you just watching me work out some spiritual struggles in my own life. And so I was reading this passage over and over and over and over. And something occurred to me, and it's probably already occurred to you, but it was a first for me here. These chapters, according to the Bible, describe the failure of Saul. But these chapters record Saul's success. You see, chapter 13, that was the beginning of Saul's failure. Saul was battling the Philistines. He didn't wait on the Lord. He didn't wait on Samuel. He he did it his own way. He failed, but he beat the Philistines. So even though the Bible says it was a failure, it was a success. He beat the Philistines. That was his goal. And then you go to chapter 15 and here the enemy 
It's the Amalekites. And again, Saul did it wrong. He didn't do it the way God said do it. He didn't trust that God's plan was enough. But listen, he beat the Amalekites. So this record of Saul's fall is also a record of Saul's success. What does that, what does that mean? Saul was successful, but he was successful at the wrong things. He failed in the things that were most important. He failed in obedience. He failed in trust. He failed, he failed in honoring God. He failed in leaving a spiritual legacy for his children and for the nation. He succeeded, but he failed in the most important things. Now, I know we have people in our church and watching uh, from their homes, people in all different circumstances of life. And you may not fit what I'm about to say, and if you don't, you're not less loved by God and you're not less valuable to our church. But I want to say this. I'm talking right now to a lot of very successful people. In our church this morning, there are a lot of successful people watching online. Some of the most successful people in Nacogdoches, Lufkin. People who are successful in business, education, career. People who are successful with money, reputation, influence, responsibility. But here's what I feel the Lord has impressed upon my heart this week as I've studied this passage. What if we are successful at the wrong things? What if we are winning the wrong battles? What if we are racing to climb up a ladder only to get to the top and find that it's leaning against the wrong building? Church, I don't want to be successful like Saul. I want to be successful like David. Let me just read two verses, and I'm going to close here in a moment. But you can see these back in chapter 13. Verses 13 and 14 said, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. We'll talk about that next week. But now your reign will not endure. So God says, you have failed. He won the battle, but he failed. Verse 14, but now your reign will not endure. For the Lord has found a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not done what the Lord commanded. I'll tell you, church, that just shocks me to the bone that I could get to the end of this race. And a lot of people might call me a success. But the Lord might say you succeeded in all the wrong things. What are the things the Lord wants me to succeed at? I want to be a man after his own heart. We gave you these bookmarks again this week.
They look just like last week. Last week we added something to the end of this sentence. We said, I only have one life to be obedient to the Lord. But I want us to put something different on it this week. I only have one life to trust solely in the Lord. I only have one life to trust the Lord. See, when I get to the end, I want to be successful in the eyes of God. And that comes through trusting God with everything. Just bow your head and close your eyes, if you will. I am. I want to be a man of trust. My family needs me to be a man of trust. Whether I beat the Philistines and the Amalekites, uh, I need to be a man after your own heart. I need to be a man of trust. My church needs me to be a man who trusts you in everything. If I'm going to leave a spiritual legacy to my family, it's going to be because of trust. Father, help me to be a man of trust in such a way that it's seen in how I give my money, in how I follow the Lord, how I worship the Lord, and how I live for the Lord. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. In both services, there will be people down front. You come if you would like someone to pray with you.